tree. We kill this damn thing here. We stop it here in Texas. We stop the new world order right here in Texas. Polls consistently show that over 90% of the people are against the NAFTA highway systems and its toll roads. As the people learned of the threat, they got angry and took action. Our ranch is part of the original Spanish land grant, and I would love to not have to give it back to Spain. Opponents of a proposed superhighway today held a major protest. A majority of Texas counties have voted to resist the plan for a North American Union and have vowed to block the construction of its infrastructure. In heck, we already know in a law that was passed by a subservient United States Congress where practically nobody in the entire Congress stood up and said no, they've already passed a law saying all their driver's licenses are going to be chipped. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to carry in a driver's license and got a chip in it. ID tracker chips embedded in state inspection stickers and toll tags are already being used to track the population. The new system is also meant to control growth and steer development through so-called smart growth. Smart growth, which is nothing more than an effort to bring control into the cities. You have the rewilding of America in the, in the Wildlands Project, the Convention on Biological Diversity, which is to control our rural population. Toll roads on interstate highways nationwide are walling off exit ramps to small towns and rural communities and are creating ghost towns by design. This trend is accelerating under the NAFTA highway system and is meant to rewild more than half the country. All of these things are designed to bring more and more control to bureaucracies rather than to the independent individual, the sovereign individual of this nation. What brought me into this whole discussion was the fact that while I was doing this multi-million dollar research effort in the 1980s and early 1990s, I became aware of an agenda basically to lock up one half of the United States in the wilderness corridors and reserves. What's called the Wildlands Project, but it was also a key cornerstone of the US, United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity. It was during that study in which I began to realize that this was not an effort to protect the environment, but an effort to control you and I. They were dividing the United States up into little compartments in which they would rip out roads, which they would rip out whole communities and put them in back in the wilderness. The federal highway system was designed by Pentagon war planners in the 1950s to serve as a rapid deployment conduit to move ground forces for the defense of the United States during invasion. 
The unconstitutional Northern Command is now using the highway system as a force projection matrix to dominate populations across the United States. Through federally funded emergency command centers, county and city governments are being quietly federalized nationwide. Billions of dollars per city is being spent to install millions of surveillance cameras. Every town and hamlet, no matter how small or remote, is surveilled. License plate reading software tracks Americans' movements wherever they go. New systems are being deployed that scan your face, read your lips, and analyze your walk. Under the Treasonous Military Commissions Act, American citizens can be secretly arrested, stripped of citizenship, flown to offshore torture camps, and secretly executed. Under Section 802 of the Patriot Act, all misdemeanors are considered terrorism. Federal police squads called Viper Teams randomly force Americans to line up and show their papers. From the sidewalks of Miami to the subways of New York to the streets of Houston, Texas, citizens are being searched by heavily armed gangs of paramilitary police. Long before 9-11, the Pentagon was aggressively violating the federal law that bars the military from policing the American people. Coast to coast for more than two decades, teams of troops would just appear out of nowhere and randomly stop cars and search pedestrians. The acclamation accelerated with regular army searching bags at the Super Bowl and the Kentucky Derby, as well as other high-profile events. Then President Bush signed a Defense Authorization Act, which radically increased the funding for the already bloated shadow government. In the act, the executive branch formally announced that it was preparing for domestic insurrection and went on to preemptively strip the state governors and legislatures of their powers. The federal government is openly announcing that it is the only authority as it treats the people and the states as enemies. Then on May 9, 2007, President Bush unlawfully granted himself new powers, and the presidency officially became a fiat dictatorship. In the past, continuity of government has been shared by the legislative, judicial, and executive branches of government. Now, all power resides with the president for the smallest of reasons, including, in the document's own text, any incident in the world, regardless of location, that affects population, infrastructure, environment, economy, or government functions can trigger, at the president's will, total martial law. 
It is important to add that the president is merely a puppet of the global crime syndicate and may not use the new powers, but simply pass them on for use by future puppet administrations. Приобретена эта победа. Не забывайте принесенных вами жертв. You must teach people to love their leader. This is the only most important. Why don't we learn from the mistakes of our ancestors? Why does humankind find itself bound in a cycle of bloodshed and enslavement? Predatory elites have always rationalized their oppression by claiming that they are superior and have the divine right to rule, when all they really are is a gaggle of ruthless psychopaths parasitically feeding on the host population until their cancerous movement causes the collapse of the host. There have been thousands of tyrannical governments in history, and less than 10 that can truly be called free. In the 20th century alone, over 150 million people were murdered at the hands of the state. In Russia, the Red Terror consumed the lives of more than 60 million men, women, and children. Hitler's war killed 22 million. During Mao Zedong's reign alone, more than 60 million peasant farmers were killed. And the list goes on. 300,000 innocent civilians killed in Guatemala. More than 2 million souls brutally murdered by the government of Cambodia. 1,500,000 killed in Turkey. 300,000 in Uganda. 800,000 plus hacked to death with machetes in Rwanda. Sadly, there are too many examples of innocent families being exterminated by their governments on an industrial scale to name them all. It is a historical fact that the state is the number one cause of unnatural death. If you take the 150 million people killed by power-mad government in the last century and divide it by 100,000, the number of souls lost would fill the biggest sports stadium packed with 100,000 screaming fans 1,500 times over. That's 1,500 sports stadiums crammed with 100,000 people each, all exterminated. For those who think it can't happen here or won't happen to them, you have been warned. The carnage witnessed in the last hundred years was only the preparatory phase of the New World Order's master plan. Hitler and Stalin's crimes are now part of history. 
the communist Chinese system of evil is not content with racking up the highest death toll in history. The mass murder and enslavement is still going on today and enjoys the full support and sanction of the New World Order. Communist China serves as a globalist laboratory, a proving ground where 1.4 billion people live out their lives as guinea pigs who serve as test subjects for the formulation of the brave new world. U.S. and British forces worked closely with Mao Zedong during World War II, and at the end of the war, they secretly backed Mao in driving out Chiang Kai-shek and the Nationalist, the OSS, and then the CIA believed that Mao would have a stabilizing effect. Bill Clinton's mentor and Georgetown University political science professor Carol Quigley explained in his book, Tragedy and Hope, how the Anglo-American roundtable groups backed every brand of authoritarianism, from communism to fascism, to ensure that a centralized government dominates the population and the economy as planned. The elite are monopoly men. They seek to create monopolies and dominate populations through the barrel of a gun. In their writings, the leadership of the New World Order has continuously heaped praise on the corrupt communist Chinese model. In August of 1973, in an article written by David Rockefeller for the New York Times, Rockefeller openly lauds and endorses Mao Zedong's actions while celebrating their command and control system. Whatever the price of the Chinese revolution, it has obviously succeeded not only in producing more efficient and dedicated administration, but also in fostering high morale and community of purpose. The social experiment in China under Chairman Mao's leadership is one of the most important and successful in history. David Rockefeller, New York Times, August 10, 1973. Communist China is the model, planned society for the New World Order. China has received more United Nations awards for its policies and form of governance than any other nation. In the eyes of globalist planners, authoritarian China is the future. China adopted the dreaded one-child policy due to lobbying from a consortium of eugenics organizations, which includes Planned Parenthood and the United Nations. Couples that have more than one child face heavy fines and imprisonment. The practice of forced abortion in China, coupled with the cultural desire to have a male child, has plunged China into a deepening crisis where there are 30 million more men than women. The Chinese police state ruthlessly crushes all forms of dissent. Underground churches, Falun Gong practitioners, Striking factory workers are all sent to forced labor camps. Their blood and tissue types are cataloged in preparation for organ harvesting. The Chinese government then sells the prisoners' organs to the highest bidder on the world market. If a wealthy patient chooses to fly into China, the prisoner is killed and the organs are implanted. 
If the organs are being flown out of the country, a mobile execution van extracts the organs on the way to the waiting aircraft. The social engineers of China aggressively euthanize the elderly and disabled. China is merely following the globalist blueprint for the world. The same system of total dehumanization is quietly being phased in worldwide. Depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world. Henry Kissinger, 1974. Uh, there's a need for a new world order, but it has different characteristics in different parts of, of the world. Now, none of this may succeed this time, but this to me is sort of the outline by which someday in the next few years, a solution will emerge. Where does this mindset come from? Why do the elites kill the largest masses of people when no one is resisting them, when they've already attained total control? What ideology drives the elite psychopath? Since Plato's time 2400 years ago, State planners have openly proclaimed their desire to control every detail of the commoner's life. From breeding programs to mass extermination of undesirables, the dark dream has continued on for millennia. The scientific rationale for tyranny has always been attractive to elites because it creates a convenient excuse for treating their fellow man as lower than animals. Robert Thomas Malthus, famous for saying that a mass food collapse would be helpful because it would wipe out the poor. His fictional scenario would later be called a Malthusian catastrophe. Malthus is important because his ideas led to the rise of a new scientific field that would dominate the course of human history for the next 200 plus years. Charles Darwin, an admirer of the Malthusian catastrophe model, developed the theory of evolution, its chief tenet being the survival of the fittest. With the help of T.H. Huxley, known as Darwin's bulldog for his strong support of Darwin's theories, Darwin's theories were pushed into wide acceptance among key scientific circles throughout England and then the world. Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, credited as the father of eugenics, saw an opportunity to advance mankind by taking the reins of Darwin's evolution theory and applied social principles to develop social Darwinism. The families, Darwin, Galton, Huxley, and Wedgwood were so obsessed with their new social design theory that they pledged their families would only breed with each other. They falsely predicted that within only a few generations, they would produce supermen. The emerging pseudoscience was only codifying the practice of inbreeding, already popular within elites for millennia. The Four Families experiment was a disaster. Within only two generations of inbreeding, close to 90% of their offspring either died at birth or were seriously mentally or physically handicapped. 
the moneyed class of the planet, and particularly the royal families of the world, who were already obsessed with breeding and filled with a predatory disdain for the underclass, seized on the new science and began aggressively enforcing its aims worldwide. Biometrics appears to be a new science, but it was actually developed by Galton back in the 1870s as a way to track racial traits and genetic histories, and as a way to decide who would be licensed to breed. In 1904, the Cold Springs Harbor Research Facility was started in the United States by eugenicist Charles Davenport with the funding of prominent robber barons Carnegie, Rockefeller, and Harriman. In 1907, the first sterilization laws were passed in the United States. Citizens with mild deformities or low test scores on their report cards were arrested and forcibly sterilized. You're 17, aren't you, Alice? Yes, but what have you done to my folks? Well, we're trying to help them, Alice, and you too. They were taken to the hospital this afternoon. Hospital? Wasn't well, none of them sick this morning. We thought it necessary to present your family's case to the State Medical Commission. After an examination, they decided there was but one important action to take. To have your entire family sterilized. Why, what's that? I don't know what you're talking about. Now, in this state, we have a law which provides for such people to have an operation so there won't be any more children. I see. Now, we've placed your brothers in institutions where they'll be properly cared for. But you can go back to your job soon. I'll arrange to have it held open for you. But... I'm keeping my job. I'm not going anywhere. Now, you're going to the hospital, too, Alice. And you mean they're going to stop me from having children ever? Exactly. I'm all right, I tell you. I won't go to any hospital. We don't want any trouble with you, young woman. If you refuse to go, the officer here will take you by force. In 1910, the U.S. Eugenics Record Office was set up. By then, the British had created the first network of social workers expressly to serve as spies and enforcers of the eugenics race cult that was rapidly taking control of Western society. The social workers would decide who would have their children taken away, who would be sterilized, and in some cases, who would be quietly murdered. In 1911, the Rockefeller family exports eugenics to Germany by bankrolling the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, which later would form a central pillar in the Third Reich. At the 1912 International Eugenics Conference in London, eugenics becomes an international craze and gains superstar status. The futurist and best-selling sci-fi author H.G. Wells had studied biology under top eugenicist and was spreading the new faith worldwide. In 1916, H.G. Wells' lover, Margaret Sanger, starts her promotion of eugenics in the United States. In 1923, Sanger receives massive funding from the Rockefeller family. Sanger wrote to fellow eugenicist Clarence J. Gamble that black leaders would need to be recruited to act as front men in sterilization programs directed against black communities. In 1924, Hitler pins Mein Kampf, or My Struggle, and credits U.S. eugenicist as his inspiration. Hitler even wrote a fan letter to American eugenicist and conservationist Madison Grant, calling his race-based book, The Passing of the Great Race, 
his Bible. Hitler developed the plan for mass extermination of the Jews and what he called other sub-races, as well as the handicapped from Grant. By 1927, eugenics hit the mainstream. The so-called science was aggressively pushed through contests at schools, churches, and at state fairs. Churches competed in contests with big cash prizes to see who could best implement eugenics into their sermons. Major denominations then tell Americans that Jesus is for eugenics. That same year in the United States, more than 25 states passed forced sterilization laws and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of brutal sterilization policies. When Hitler came to power in 1933, one of his first acts was to pass national eugenics laws modeled after laws in the United States. The 1934 film, Tomorrow's Children, brought the eugenics agenda to the silver screen in the United States. In the case of Miss Mason, I can see no reason for the operation that's been recommended. The girl is perfectly normal. She's hardworking and has a good reputation. Do you know anything about her family background? Oh, yes, Your Honor, I do. There are several other children, aren't there? Yes. What is their condition? One is a cripple, two others might be classed as feeble-minded. Isn't the oldest son in jail? Oh, yes, I believe so. And knowing all that, you still contend that this girl should be allowed to bring more people like that into the world? She's sound, Your Honor. She's not anything like the rest. Surely she should be given a chance to work out her own salvation. I can't agree with you, Doctor. Suppose she is normal. The chances are that her children will inherit the family taint. Isn't that possible? But, Your Honor, I... I'm sorry, Doctor. Three generations of unfit are enough. Petition not allowed. By 1936, Germany had become the world leader in eugenics for taking effective actions to sterilize and euthanize hundreds of thousands of victims. The big three of American eugenics, Davenport, Laughlin, and Goethe, were dispatched by the Rockefellers to Germany, where they advised the Nazis on the fine-tuning of their extermination system. With the strong support of the U.S. and England, Germany had gone over the edge and tens of millions would pay with their lives. At the end of the war, the Allies protected from prosecution the very Nazi scientist that had tortured thousands of people to death. The Nazi brand of eugenics had embarrassed the elites, but they had no intention of stopping their plans. The Allies literally fought with each other over who would get top Nazi eugenicist. It didn't matter if the SS doctors had tortured tens of thousands to death, they were free to go. The angel of death, Joseph Mengele, and his boss, Otmar von Verscher, were not prosecuted, and von Verscher even continued his work in Germany after the war. Eugenicists were angry that their great work had been exposed they then scrambled to camouflage their agenda. Eugenics Quarterly became Social Biology. The American Birth Control League became Planned Parenthood. New terms like transhumanism, population control, sustainability, conservation, and environmentalism replaced racial hygiene and social Darwinism. Many eugenicists of the previous period 
engaged in what they called crypto-eugenics. Purposefully taking their eugenics beliefs underground, they became highly respected anthropologists, biologists, and geneticists in the post-war world. The Allies then smuggled thousands of Nazi scientists out of Germany and placed them in key scientific positions, ranging from bioweapons to rocketry throughout the military-industrial complex. The founder of IBM was a devout follower of Hitler. Thomas J. Watson had supplied his punch card computers and IBM technicians to the Nazis for use in the death camps. Tattoos on camp victims were IBM human identification numbers, which fed into the computers. IBM had used similar punch card systems as early as 1928 in a Jamaican race mixing study. The first real computers were literally invented by a eugenicist for eugenics. UN chieftain and unrepentant eugenicist Julian Huxley argued that since the leaders of eugenics had founded the environmental and conservation movements, that they should be used as vehicles in the formation of a world government. Just as H.G. Wells had envisioned, this government would be controlled by a scientific dictatorship and would be guided by the principles of eugenics. Huxley created the World Wildlife Fund with Bilderberg founder and former SS officer Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands and Prince Philip of England. In the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve overpopulation. Prince Philip, reported by Deutsche Press Agentur DPA, August 1988. Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World and brother of Julian Huxley, gave a speech at Berkeley in 1962, shortly before his death. He admitted that his best-selling book, Brave New World, written in 1932, was based not on fiction, but on what the elite were actually planning to implement. And here I would like uh, briefly to, uh, to compare well, the parable of Brave New World with uh, another parable which was put forth more recently uh, in uh, George Orwell's book, 1984. I'm inclined to think that uh, the scientific dictatorships of the future, and I think there are going to be scientific dictatorships in many parts of the world, will be probably a good deal nearer to the Brave New World pattern uh, than to the uh, 1984 pattern. They will be a good deal nearer, not because of any humanitarian qualms in the scientific dictators, but simply because the Brave New World pattern is probably a good deal more efficient than the other. But if you can uh, get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, the state of servitude, the state of being. Well, it seems to me that the, the nature of the ultimate revolution with which we are now faced is precisely this, uh, that we are in process of developing a whole series of techniques which uh, will enable the controlling oligarchy, who have always existed and presumably always will exist, uh, to get people actually to love their servitude, 
people can be made to enjoy a state of affairs which by any decent standard they ought not to enjoy and uh, these uh, methods I, I think are a real refinement on the older methods of terror because they combine methods of terror with methods of of uh, acceptance. But then there are the various other methods which one can think of. Uh, there is, for example, the uh, pharmacological method. This, this was one of the things I, I talked about in, in Brave New World. Uh, and uh, the result would be that, uh, I mean, you can imagine a, a euphoric which would make people thoroughly happy even in the most abominable circumstances. I mean, they, these things are possible. The elite have left a massive wave of destruction behind them as they cold-bloodedly experiment on civilian populations as if we are lab rats. A string of congressional investigations has uncovered more than 20,000 secret tests that were carried out against the American people between 1910 and 2000. One well-known eugenic study, the Tuskegee Syphilis Project, killed hundreds of blacks and spanned 40 years until whistleblowers exposed it in 1972. From 1943 until present, the British have tested lethal nerve gas on their own personnel on land, air, and sea. Many died instantly. Still others died grueling deaths over several years. The federal government commissioned secret radiation experiments on thousands of non-consenting patients. Hundreds of hospitals in the U.S. injected healthy men, women, and children with uranium and plutonium at dosage levels ranging from non-therapeutic to lethal, killing many of the test subjects. Pregnant wives of GIs were given vitamins by base doctors that actually consisted of highly radioactive uranium-239 and plutonium-241, resulting in violent miscarriages and the death of the mothers. Soldiers, sailors, and marines were used as guinea pigs in hundreds of atomic and hydrogen bomb tests. Patriotic Americans were radiated side by side with lab animals. Pilots were forced to repeatedly fly through mushroom clouds of DNA destroying radiation. From 1951 to 1961, the U.S. Army paid Israel's health ministry three million lira to conduct radiation testing on Sephardic children that immigrated to Israel. The government-run public schools would tell the children that they were going to get a medical checkup and that they were receiving an x-ray.
The Pentagon had already radiated more than 4,000 institutionalized children in the United States, many of which had died. More than 110,000 of the darker-skinned Jews were given 35,000 times the maximum dose of X-rays to the head repeatedly. Many of the children died within months. All of them lost their hair. Some still live today and endure excruciating health problems. The covert testing of chemical, biological, and radiological agents on unsuspecting populations continues worldwide today. From 1940 to 1979, the vast majority of the British population was sprayed by aircraft more than 2,000 times with deadly chemicals and microorganisms without ever being told. In 1968, the Pentagon tested a deadly bioweapon on New York subways and placed personnel in local hospitals to monitor the effects. Aggressive sterilization of men and women continued in many states until the mid-1980s. The United States and England are currently testing pesticides and highly toxic experimental drugs on tens of thousands of healthy foster children, many of which die as a result of the experiments. Prisons across the nation have forced inmates to participate in grisly experiments, ranging from pesticide studies to having tablets of dioxin sewn into their backs. Gradually, by selective breeding, the congenital differences between rulers and ruled will increase until they become almost different species. A revolt of the plebs would become as unthinkable as an organized insurrection of sheep against the practice of eating mutton. Bertrand Russell. H.G. Wells, Aldous Huxley, Bertrand Russell, and hundreds of other eugenicists constantly bragged about how the establishment believed themselves to be a separate, more advanced species than the common man. Top eugenicists were bold enough to admit that their real goal was not improving the heredity of the commoner, but to further dumb them down so that they could be more manageable. Nobel Prize winner Russell wrote at length about how vaccinations filled with mercury and other brain-damaging compounds would induce partial chemical lobotomies and develop a servile zombie population. Diet, injections, and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable. And any serious criticism of the powers that be will become psychologically impossible. Bertrand Russell. Over a hundred years ago, eugenicist social planners said that they'd use mind-altering drugs to control the population. By 2007, more than 20% of the U.S. population were on some type of prescription antidepressant. But in the case of foster children, a sector where the state has total control, at least two-thirds are forced to take a cocktail made up of, on average, seven psychotropic drugs. Chairman of the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians, Joe Burkett, testified before the State House Select Committee hearing on psychotropic drugs in foster care and shocked the public when he said that two-thirds of foster children in Texas had been placed on psychiatric drugs because they were very, very sick from a bad gene pool. A lot of these kids come from bad gene pools. They don't have stable parents making good decisions. Besides the gene pools, they've then been traumatized by abuse, neglect, and problems, and then they've been traumatized by separation, and all those things predisposed to mental illness. The Western world is now implementing eugenics pre-crime policies. Fetuses are now being pre-screened according to family histories of crime. 
From Portland, Oregon to London, England, Child Protective Services are enrolling newborn children into criminal databases at birth and forcing them to attend probation hearings at age two. The overlords of scientific dictatorship are ruthlessly prosecuting a war on our most defenseless. In December of 1974, the U.S. government made third world population reduction a central national security issue. The operation plan titled National Security Study Memorandum 200 was simply a regurgitation of the British Commission on Population created by King George VI of England in 1944, which openly stated that populous third world nations posed a threat to the international elite's monopoly of global power. The Kissinger-authored U.S. plan targeted 13 key countries where massive population reduction was called for. Kissinger recommended that IMF and World Bank loans be given on condition that nations initiate aggressive population control programs, such as sterilization. Kissinger also recommended that food be used as a weapon and that instigating wars was also a helpful tool in reducing population. In 1972, the Nixon White House also implemented a eugenics policy which was directed by George Herbert Walker Bush, then United States Ambassador to the United Nations. Bush advised China on the formulation of their one-child policy and directed the federal government to forcibly sterilize more than 40% of Native American women on reservations. The Bilderberg-dominated Club of Rome advocated environmentalism as the best front to implement population reduction. Western populations would accept serfdom if it was packaged as saving the earth. Industrialization of Africa, Asia, and Latin America could be blocked. Citizens would more willingly give up their national sovereignty if it were sold as a way to help the planet. The think tank also concocted the peak oil fraud as a way to create artificial scarcity. And the Club of Rome has been aggressively pushing a global carbon tax as a way to fund their planetary government. In the draft copy of the United Nations Global Biodiversity Assessment, it states very clearly that we must reduce the human population from what's current level of about six billion people down to about one billion people. In the 1970s, South Africa developed race-specific bioweapons target blacks and Asians, and then subsequently sold the technology to Israel in the mid-1980s. In September of 2000, the Project for a New American Century published a document in which Dick Cheney described race-specific bioweapons as politically useful tools. And somebody mentioned, well, why would they want to reduce the human population when that means less money for them? Most people have no idea. They're not after money. They have all the money they need. They're after power. That's their aphrodisiac. The overlords of the New World Order are now aggressively pushing for a worldwide one-child policy. The Chinese one-child policy was phased in gradually. In the 60s, when it began, you only had to pay a tax penalty. Only later did they imprison you if you had more than one child. Now the exact same proposals to penalize couples who have more than one child are being made in the United States, England, and Europe. 
In the push to reduce global warming, children, according to some, are the new culprits. A think tank in the UK says too many kids are what's making the planet worse, saying large families, anything over two children really, should be frowned upon as an environmental no-no, uh, akin to not reusing your plastic bags, driving one of those big gas-guzzling cars, uh, taking long trips overseas. The UK, in fact, has negative growth. I think Canada does too that still families in our rich countries shouldn't have more than two kids. In 1998, Ted Turner pledged to give more than $1 billion to the United Nations to be spent in the implementation of population reduction policies planet-wide. In 1999, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation gave $2.2 billion to Planned Parenthood, the United Nations Population Fund, and other population reduction groups. By 2007, the Gates had given more than $30 billion, almost exclusively, to population control groups. The controlled corporate press cynically reported that the Gates were giving the money to help third world children. Bill and Melinda Gates were dethroned as the world's most generous philanthropists when their friend and fellow population reduction enthusiast, Warren Buffett, gave $37 billion to fund an army of population control groups. And I actually think the world will be much better when there's only 10 or 20% of us left. Dr. Eric Bianca. Prominent University of Texas biologist, Dr. Eric Bianca, while receiving an award from the Texas Academy of Science, said that the worldwide AIDS pandemic was, quote, no good, it's too slow, and went on to laud the virtues of Ebola because it would kill 90% of the world population quickly. When his statements erupted into a national controversy, his graduate students defended him, stating that Pianca was too conservative and that all humans should be killed. But most frightening was the fact that in a crowd of over 1,000 prominent scientists, local newspapers reported that 95% of those in attendance gave Bianca sustained standing ovations every time he extolled the virtues of mass culling microbes and man's destruction. China was able to turn the corner and become the leading world superpower because they have a police state and they are able to force people to stop reproducing. Dr. Eric R. Pianca. The eugenics movement has now shaken off much of its Nazi baggage and is using people's legitimate concern about the environment as a cloak to conceal their real agenda. Everyone wants to breathe clean air and have good water. But the controllers of the environmental movement have done nothing but co-op people's concerns and parlay it into support for global policies that further destabilize the third world and create untold misery. Phony environmental and conservation groups are now the biggest private landowners in the world. They lobby government to take property away from local populations only to develop it themselves later.
when the U.S. military dumps millions of gallons of nerve gas on the east coast of the U.S., they don't say a word. Thousands of companies are creating transgenetic cross-species hybrids, splicing plants, animals, and insects, and releasing the new organisms into the global biosphere, vandalizing the very genetic code of the planet. And large environmental organizations do nothing. The corporate elite of the planet intensified their push for a global taxation system with a year-long buildup to the live Earth hysteria held on July 7, 2007 on seven continents. World leaders announced that saving the Earth was the new organizing principle for humanity and hailed it as the planet's new religion. They claimed that CO2, which plants breathe, was killing the Earth and that we must reduce the number of children we have to curtail our carbon footprint. Countries across the world mark the day by passing new carbon tax schemes and raising taxes on gasoline, natural gas, and electricity. It is a scientific fact that the sun is the main driver of planetary climate, and the measurements are clear. The sun is becoming hotter, brighter. It has been slowly increasing thermal output in the last hundred years causing warming, not just on Earth, but throughout the solar system. But the scientific facts and even the order of the planets didn't matter to one of the chief organizers of live Earth, David Mayer de Rothschild, heir to the British arm of the Rothschild fortune when we spoke to him. When I called Rothschild on the order of the planets, he just laughed, thinking the audience wouldn't get it. He continued to count on the population's ignorance and claimed that the global warming lobby has nothing to do with carbon taxes. I guess he hadn't spoken with his good personal friend, Al Gore. Global warming, the time for debate is over. I think what you have to realize is that, that being environmentally sensitive and making money aren't mutually exclusive. There's a lot of money to be made in, 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 in addressing this issue. But you guys are gobbling up all the world's concern to just simply line your pockets and make kids read your book in schools and do all this. It's a business, just like you said, Rothschild. It's not, I'm, do you think I make any money out of this? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Your great, great, great grand, your, your money changing ancestors did. They're in Germany, Red Shield, and I'm calling you out, Red Shield. We know it's a scam. A pollution-based tax system, principally CO2. We're causing it mainly, vast majority of it. The consequences are bad and will be catastrophic unless we act. Uh, the polar ice caps of Mars have, are receding at several miles a year, much faster than ours and that the moons of Saturn and Jupiter are melting. In fact, several of their moons were ice and are now liquid seas. Now, how are SUVs causing that, David Rothschild? That's because those planets are closer to the sun, my friend. <laughs> no, um, Jupiter and Saturn are not closer to the sun, neither is Mars. Yes, sir. I think you'll find, right, that the very simple matter, and what I wanted to say, and this is my final point, forget your taxation theory, because actually it's not taxation. Put a price on the carbon. A tax is the best way. Cap and trade can also do it. If there were a carbon-based tax, mm -hmm. would there be a need for a, 
an economy-wide cap-and-trade system? They are not either-or. We can do both. I am in favor of both. The architects of the New World Order are in a race to complete the structure of world government so they can suppress the independent development of technologies that threaten their monopoly of power, while at the same time steering new developments in the direction the architects chart for humanity. The technocrats call their governing system the final revolution because in the past, empires were enforced militarily. Now enforcement is primarily psychological and economic, and society itself is a construct of the elite who operate outside the controlled paradigm and control the civilization within, just as a child maintains the environment of a fish tank. We are like lab rats living out our entire existence, never questioning the confines of the cage or the scientists who experiment on us. New World Order engineers have hijacked human destiny. Its controllers have closely studied human behavior for more than a hundred years and are now steering us with expert control, using our primitive drives and desires as levers. They have developed their mind control systems to the point of being able to control the average unconscious person like a car. Eugenics dominated the 20th century. Its ruthless spirit has now metastasized into the fields of genetics, nanotech, and robotics. But that's not surprising. From their inception, all three disciplines have been dominated by eugenicists. The billionaire founder of Sun Microsystems, Bill Joy, courageously went public in 2000 to warn of a cancerous consensus among the technocratic elite that at best humanity would be completely enslaved by the year 2030, and at worst, mass extermination of everyone but the elite would take place. A who's who of the techno-elite are members of what is known as the transhumanist or post-humanist movement. Many of its adherents see only the beneficial aspects of technology's exponential rise, like bringing sight to the blind sound to the deaf, and longer life for all. But what many of them don't know is that master eugenicist Julian Huxley founded transhumanism and that society's controllers openly admit that the new system is designed to progress into absolute tyranny. Leading transhumanist Ray Kurzweil boasts that technological advancements will allow those that can afford it to live forever, but admits that most won't be able to keep up with the new master race. The drive for world government is now all about who will control and have access to radical life extension systems. Biological evolution is too slow for the human species. Over the next few decades, it's going to be left in the dust. Transhumanists believe that they will attain the fountain of youth by merging with technology. Now, it may be within their reach. Decades ago, transhumanists said 
that if you did not accept augmentation or enhancements, you would no longer be able to get jobs. And now it's happening today. The elite who occupy the commanding heights of digital reality are suicidal nihilists. Suicidal nihilists know that there is no longer any substantive purpose to their willing, but they would always prefer to go on willing than not to act at all. They can very happily ally themselves with a notion of nuclear holocaust or perfect exterminism. Technology has become so powerful in its capacity for destruction that free humanity cannot afford to let psychopathic technocrats with delusions of grandeur repeat the mistakes of their forebears, because it is highly probable that this time they may destroy everything, including themselves in their mad rush for godhood. In this film, we have chronicled the Overlord's bloody orgy of experimentation, which already claimed the lives of more than 150 million people in the 20th century. And now, they are promising to deliver an invincible tyranny that will dwarf their past exploits. In the days of World War II, there were sovereign nations and armies to stand against Hitler's final solution. Once world government is in place, no one will be able to stop the New World Order's plans for global population reduction. For those immune to psychological programming, hundreds of FEMA camps have already been built throughout the United States. In their quest for population reduction, no method is off the table. These dark builders intend to release a string of man-made bioweapons plagues, each one worse than the last while at the same time expanding the police state to enforce an orderly extermination of the population, all in the name of fighting invisible terrorists. And the Georgia Guidestones stand today as a cold testament to the elite's sacred mission. To have a two-class system where the underclass are forced to live as slaves in tiny enclosed cities, while the elite enjoy the land of the earth, evolve into superhumans with the aid of advanced implantable technologies, live eternal lives, and travel throughout the cosmos. This is the promise given to the inner members of the New World Order and the agenda of the Bilderberg Group. In 2007, Jim Tucker continued his 30-year quest to expose the globalist by traveling to Istanbul, Turkey, the site of Bilderberg, 2007. Jim Tucker, thank you for coming on, my friend. It's always fun. Jim, tell us what you saw today when you were out at the uh, Rich Hotel. We were at the Ritz-Carlton. It looked like a typical uh, Bilderberg scenario. They had the armed guards all around the place. They had platoons of uh, uh, cops in uh, formation waiting for the disbursement. They also had 
uh, cops all the way around the building, and they had all those high-tech things where every member can uh, hear whatever spoken in any language instantly translated into his own language so they can uh, keep up with it. Let's just ask him directly. Okay. Is Bilderberg meeting here this weekend? You can look this way. We had my two personal cops following me today. I was not aware of it because my nose is always sticking to the camera and my jaws are always flapping. But the uh, TV crew said, those guys are uh, going to follow you. And their car followed us out to the uh, hotel. Then they identified the two uh, cops in plain clothes, not, not business suits, but sport shirts and so forth. Yeah. That's the car that's been on our ass? Yeah. Uh, I want to photograph him. Yeah. You are, aren't you? Well, they're very likely Bilderberg boys. John Elkin, owner of Fiat and a fellow Bilderberger, thought that they could take a stroll off the grounds without being noticed by the commoners. I was thinking about that. This Bilderberg attendee sneered at our camera. This carload of kingpins gave the media a murderous look and seemed shocked that they would dare point a camera in their direction. In 2007, the Bilderberg Group received the heaviest global coverage in its history. Jim Tucker witnessed press conferences attended by hundreds of members of the media and a new generation of info warriors, like reporter Paul Dornenu of Romania, are tracking the elite no matter where they hide. Now, Jim, my governor, Rick Perry, it's in the front of the Dallas Morning News. The headline reads, Texas Governor Rick Perry to attend Bilderberg. What does it mean to have the governor of Texas in the Dallas Morning News just admitting he's going to Bilderberg Group? It means he's a potential president. Even as the obscure governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton, lost his virginity at the Bilderberg meeting in Baden-Baden, Germany in 1991, and he's elected president the following year. Now, if he goes nowhere, 
in a run for the White House in the years ahead, they'll drop him like an old shoe. They do that often. But uh, officially, uh, Bilderberg considers Governor Rick Perry a potential president of the United States. Uh, yes, it's a, a violation of the Logan Act, uh, for which uh, the White, Bill Clinton's White House was fined $300,000, which means the taxpayers paid it. When Perry returned to Texas from Istanbul, we were determined to hold him accountable for his treasonous actions.